Hello, we're the four fanboys, and I'm Josh. I'm Kyle. And uh, two of us aren't here today, so it's just the two of us. And Kyle, can you start us off? Yes. Um, today we'll be uh, talking about the Mass Effect video game series. Um, it's a game both me and Josh really enjoyed. Uh, we both beat it playing the Legendary Edition, I believe it's called. Yeah, and it's pretty good. Like, it's a good remaster. Uh it, you can go seamlessly between all the three games and it'll meet and will automatically convert the character into all the games. Also, the first game is more of a remake than a remaster. They kind of tweaked it, did some quality of life improvements. Like, you could use any gun, no matter which class you could, which technically could have done in the original game, but it would be really hard to use a gun that didn't match up to your class. But now you can use whatever gun you want. Pretty good seamlessly the yeah tanks oh, what were you gonna say i was just gonna say um i forget the name but the class that specializes in the sniper rifle i heard was pretty brutal in the original because yes you're supposed to use the sniper rifle with that class but you don't get the benefits of it until you level it up until then the scope kind of like bounces everywhere and you can't really aim well with it sounds really annoying yeah uh, also the vehicle sections with the mako i think it's called Yes, the Mako. Yeah, were extremely bad. You would go on seemingly flat surface and hit a pedal. You would bounce all over the map immediately. And yep. now you got thrusters to go faster and to like jump and stuff. Also, when you would get a kill in the Mako in the original Mass Effect one, you would not get the XP, the same amount of XP if you get a kill without it. It would like cut in half or something. Which but... would, which sucks because like there's a lot of sections where it's very obvious you have to use a Mako for the combat because it seems like almost impossible on foot. Yeah, so if you wanted to get like full XP, you had to drive a little bit with the Mako, get out, and there'd be enemies that were like really tough and obviously made for you to fight with the Mako. But since you want the XP, you'd have to get out and then probably equip a sniper rifle. So if you couldn't use, if you weren't using class that was suited for a sniper rifle, you'd have to bring a uh, squad mate that could use a sniper rifle. And you'd have to, since you're in the Mako, you'd have to bring a squad mate that has a uh, was it the engineering uh, yeah. skill? I think it was called uh, electronic skill, I think. Like, yes, that was to help with the shields of the Mako. It was something like that, or repairing the Mako. Right. Yeah. Repairing. So you don't. So you really couldn't even like pick which squad, squad mates you wanted to be with. It had to be the ones that had these specific skills. Yeah, you couldn't just pick two squad mates that specialize in direct combat. You had to pick at least one that specialized in electronics. And the combat, they added that sprinting to cover has you automatically go into cover that was only in, I believe it was in 2 and 3. I, I'm i not sure if it was in 2. I believe it was originally in 2 as well, but they added it to 1. Yeah. And honestly, I'm really glad that was my first experience with 1 because I honestly loved it. I really liked, like playing as a mage class with like RPG abilities. And Mass Effect 1 is probably the biggest one, like bounced towards that, where you get like a ton of abilities. It was so fun to like use it in a third person shooter like aspect. Yeah, I I remember uh we borrowed the game from Zach like years ago, like the original Mass Effect one. I remember playing it and I couldn't get past the first Thresher Mall. I remember uh playing it. I did all the like I went to, I, I didn't even like bother the main story at first. I literally just went to every planet, didn't pick up any mission. It was kinda of funny because then I'll randomly get you done this mission, now go to so and so at the Citadel to accept rewards. Like, how do I know who that is? It was pretty funny. 
Before I was able to get anything too deep into the story, though, he 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 got it back. Yeah, I I think I just got I just couldn't beat beat it, so I think that's I kind of just stopped playing it as well. I'm glad uh, we got the remastered Legendary Edition. And I will say, Saren is probably the best villain in the trilogy. I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into his character to avoid spoilers, but I'm just going to say he's the best. He is really interesting. So how should we handle spoilers? Just light spoilers, stuff you would see like in a game review or like nothing that spoils the ending or the ending of major character arcs, just very light stuff. Okay. Well, with Mass Effect 1, the Geth were really interesting. And I guess to go back to classes, it made uh, anti-synthetic classes, which the tech classes, uh, really, uh, really good compared to like other games because most of the enemies you're fighting are synthetic. Uh, I remember one ability, the overload ability, that one's really powerful in all three games. It uh, really does extra damage against synthetic. It's it You shoot out like a bolt of electricity and it hits whatever enemy you're targeting and it does extra damage to synthetic enemies, which are like robots, uh, to enemies with shields and enemies with biotic shields. And also that includes anything like turrets, like anything robotic or anything like that. And back with the Geth, I really like them. They feel like really good, solid sci-fi like bad guys. Like the weird speech they kind of do in combat, the weird noises they make to their character design. I just really like fighting them. It's kind of a shame you don't really fight them as much in the next two games. It is. I really like them, but I really do appreciate them going into like their history and like all this stuff about the Geth they're telling you about and like all these like characters related to the Geth. It's probably one of my favorite storylines, the Corians and the Geth and like all of Mass Effect. It's really interesting. Yeah. And the Corian ta- ta- uh, squad mate, Tally, I really like her. Like her character really grows and matures throughout the uh, three games. Yes, everyone really likes her. It's everyone's favorite. I I want to say I think for the legendary edition uh she was on uh brought on the most missions out of all the other squad mates and I believe I heard in the original games that was Garrus who was brought on the most. Well, I guess after everybody already like played through them a lot and already have guides which squad mates to choose, everybody just decided to go with Tally. Yeah. Back to Mass Effect 1, Tally and Garrus they're both tech characters so they do well against the Geth. And they do well in the Mako because they both have that engineering ability. All right. And one thing I really like in Mass Effect 1 that isn't really in the other two is that you can explore planets. Yeah, like exploring with the Mako is kind of plain, but it's kind of nice. You feel like you're exploring the planet. And with some of the quality of life enhancements and the fact that I did use a guide to find all the secrets on the map, so it wasn't too much of a pain for me. Except that one planet, I forgot the name of it, where entirely hills. I don't know why they put that in the game. I think I know what planet you're talking about. I don't remember the name either, but that's always the first thing that came to my mind. I remember looking it up, like just how to navigate it, and there were so many other people questions about it. Like, oh, there's so many hills, there's so many mountains. How do we like drive around this? I am so curious how that got packed past a gameplay testing, especially since the original game, as we said earlier, the Mako was a nightmare to like use even on flat terrain let alone mountains yeah i again i also like the exploration it's an interesting concept it does get a little uh tedious after a while but again i did hear that they randomize they 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 didn't just make each one from scratch this is what i heard i don't know if that's correct or not so don't quote me on this 
but I heard they just kind of randomized the terrain, or they they did something. They didn't just like take each one and then just like make it. That's what I heard. I don't. I could be wrong, but that's what I heard. Yeah. Now the interior of the buildings and the ships you find the galaxy they were basically the same layout, they just were with stuff like a lot of reused assets which i guess i understand because there's so many like side missions and stuff which again i i really like the exploration of mass effect one it's very interesting it's also less linear which i feel like fits best for what they were trying to do yeah it was an open world rpg so that that's something you can say like that mass effect one has over two and three right and it's really cool discovering all the story bits for the first time. I'm not going to go into too detail for obvious spoiler reason, but just really cool how the galaxy and like all the stuff you didn't know about just unfolds before you. All the background lore of all the alien species, of just everything, the history, uh, the wars. You can even pick the background of your character. You play a shepherd. Uh, maybe we should have mentioned this earlier. Yeah. But you play a shepherd, and you can customize his or her. You can make... Shepherd a man or a woman. Uh you could custom I'm just gonna say man because that's I only play as a man. You can customize his face, uh his background, his personality even. In the beginning you can say background, you can say like war hero, and they served in a war called the Skillion Blitz. And then characters will talk to you about the Skillion Blitz and you even get a separate quest that you wouldn't get if you picked other backgrounds. Uh you can pick that you're ruthless or you're sole survivor of a battle, just stuff like that. And even act and the morality system in the game, uh, whether you're a paragon or a renegade, you get uh, when you make a paragon decision, you get paragon points, and you make a renegade decision, you get renegade points. But in the beginning, when you pick your background, if you pick a war hero, you just get a bunch of paragon points. If you pick ruthless, you just get a bunch of renegade. If you pick soul survivor, you get both paragon and renegade points. I really like the morality system in these games because. It, it basically, instead of deciding whether you're truly evil and decide to take over the galaxy, or like, uh, uh in, like say a Gandhi type character and decide to like save it, you basically uh save it no matter what, but you do it in a more evilish or a more goodish way. Which let's face it, most of the time when they do a pure evil or pure good, the only difference is the ending cutscene. That's it. But yeah. in these games, it's actually affects like a lot of stuff, like what characters come back, what like how missions play out and stuff. And you could make good, like let's say you make the Paragon choice, but then you can use, a like there's a, a persuade option where you can either charm or intimidate. Charm is the Paragon uh, dialogue option and intimidate is the Renegade one. And you can make like a good choice, do something good, but you can pick the Renegade uh, intimidate option every time and still play as a Renegade. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I have to say my favorite planet, I think, was Novaria. Just the amount of stuff you could do with it and the variety of the planet and the missions on it is just really cool. That's probably one of the probably the best examples for like Mass Effect and just even RPG games, how they should be made. What you have to do is you have to get to a certain area, but you need a key card to get to it. This is the one that comes to mind. And there's so many ways to get it. Uh, one way is there's a merchant trying to ask you to help uh, smuggle something in for him. And if you want, you can turn him in and just get it there. Uh, there's uh, someone in investigating the person in charge of the area. 
and you can help the person investigating to get in, or you could turn her into the guy who's running the area, and then he'll let you in. There's just there's even a few more options. It's yeah, you could like fight through a room of bad guys, or you don't have to fight at all. It's like anything you want to do, and even that uh, smuggler quest, like yeah. you're talking about. There's so many different ways where you could handle that. Yeah. Uh, one thing though that works against Mass Effect One is that you get XP through combat. So sometimes picking the more peaceful option loses you XP. But something they did is that sometimes they'll give you an option that even if you pick the Renegade option, uh, not the Renegade, the Paragon option to let the uh, let uh, you avoid combat, you can still get into combat for uh, XP. Like somebody might say, like, "Oh, I'll let you go, but uh, you have to turn yourself into jail." And it's like, "What? I'm not going to jail. I'd rather die." So then you can make the option to just fight them and. Or just to let them go and they don't go to jail. Yeah. Either way, you still get the Paragon points. Yeah. Honestly, Mass Effect 1 was pretty good. I feel like it is underrated when people talk about the series a bit. Now, 2, on the other hand, I feel like is is like a lot of people tend to be uh, their favorite. Uh, Yeah, 2's really good. Um, I like how, 1, you kind of stay with the Alliance, but 2, you kind of move in with Cerberus, which in one, there is all these like side missions and just missions in general where Cerberus, there's this organization called Cerberus, which was connected to it. And it's just so uh, interesting to just see Mass Effect 1 just fight against them this whole time. You fight against all these agents. You, you meet people who work with Cerberus and they're, you know, they're, they're a little uh, not so morally great. Uh, like you see they're working with like, this exo company called Exogeny, which you see they're they're kind of doing like bad stuff to like the locals of the planet, right. or, and then in Mass Effect Two, oh guess what? You're working with Cerberus now. They they helped you out, and now they want your help to stop a threat that's uh, attacking humanity. And they're the only people who are willing to actually go against it. Yeah, like the, the Alliance and the other alien races. They're all like turning a blind eye, I guess, to it, kind of like it's not. They don't see it as important. Yeah. Uh. The collectors, they're. I don't like them as much as the Geth, but they got some interesting background. I guess once you, I don't know if we want to mention that because it's something mentioned later. Uh, on yeah, the background. I would try not like mention anything too detailed about it because it is kind of spoilery. But I will say, say a, a quick description. Uh, a quick description of them. They're kind of like a bug race almost. If you see them and how they act, they act with the hive mind. They are pretty cool sci-fi villains. But I do agree with Kyle. The Geth were kind of cooler. Yeah. But they st still have like a lot of cool things with it. And one thing I did like about Mass Effect Two with the combat is they add heavy weapons. Like there's a few cool ones, like the collector rifle, which is a beam rifle. And you, they have a gun that is literally just a nuke launcher. It literally just fires a nuke. And if you're too close to your target, it even kills you too, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, the combat has been drastically changed. A lot of things have been drastically changed from Mass Effect 1 and like Mass Effect 2 even to the rest of the series. In Mass Effect 1, there's this inventory system where uh, you can find different items like armor and weapons. But they'll be the same kind of armor and weapons. They'll just be... Like, instead of, you'll start with, like, a level one piece of armor, a level one weapon, and you'll get one that has the exact same name, but instead it's a level two, and obviously that one's better. 
and you have limited inventory space. But in Mass Effect 2, there's no levels. It's just here's this armor, here's this weapon, and that's it. Also, uh, in Mass Effect 1, like most RPGs, if you want everyone to wear the same armor, you have to find that many pieces of the same armor. Here, once you find a piece of equipment, anybody who can equip that type of equipment can have it at the same time. Also, armor was different for different species. Uh, humans and Asari were the same one. And the Asari, they're, they're pretty interesting. Do you want to talk about Asari now? Or we oh, sure. I actually do want to talk a little bit about their species. And you just touch a little bit about the Asari. Uh, they're a race of blue uh, women. Yeah, they're all women. And they're all powerful biotics. And biotics in the Mass Effect universe, they have these like special powers. They can like move stuff with their mind. They're kind of like the mage class, kind of. Yeah. And like you can also you can still be a biotic if you're a human, which is cool. So you could do it. Uh, in fact, biotic classes are probably some of my favorite in the series. Yeah, you can get some really interesting powers. Um, it almost reminds me now. It was made by the game was made by Bioware, which also made Knights of the Old Republic. So there are some things similar with that, but it kind of reminds me of like the Force. Like they they took that and they kind of like put it in their own thing, and it's really interesting. I think. Yeah. Oh, also speaking of like abilities, in Mass Effect Two, my biggest criticism of it is they really tried to tone down the RPG and powers and all those stuff like in it, which. I didn't really like because those are my favorite parts of Mass Effect. Like, biotic abilities, if someone had a shield, they would be immune to it mostly. So, being pure biotic, you'll be in, like, you'll be at disadvantage for a lot of enemies. Yeah, there were some changes with powers. And back to the weapons, there were changes with weapons too. The ammo system. In Mass Effect 1, uh, the lore behind it was that the. The weapons had like a mini mass effect generator and I just have like a big thing of metal in the gun and it would shave off a piece every time you fired it and that would be uh, the bullets. But Mass Effect 2 and onwards, they went to an ammo system and the idea is that your gun would overheat but then you just eject the heat sink and then put it back in to make sure your gun doesn't overheat. In the first game, when it overheat, you just wait a couple seconds. Yeah. Uh. Funnily, a uh, funny story in like the third game. They do uh, have a gun that's I forget what it's called, but it's supposed to be like a classic Mass Effect weapon, and it's a assault rifle that has infinite ammo. All it does is overheat. It doesn't use heat sinks, and you can talk to a character, and they'll even ask you about, "Hey, uh, why do we uh, use ammo now?" And then your your character would explain to them, "Oh, well, we moved on from like that, and now we use heat sinks and all that." And it, and it was kind of funny. The characters like, "Really? I don't see that as an advantage." And it was a little funny, yeah. like inside joke thing. Because if you, yeah, because if you look up online, a lot of people are kind of torn. There are people who prefer the where you just the cooldown. A lot of people prefer reloading. I at first I kind of prefer cooldown, but thing. After playing through all three games, I think I kind of prefer reloading now, just because it is faster to start shooting again. Yeah. And there's, like, a ton of, like, heat sinks just scattered around the battlefield. Yeah, which, again, I think the Legendary Edition, they added more ammo and more cover in all three games, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think the idea for the unlimited ammo is also more so it's interesting for the lore reason. Like, oh yeah, the guns here, they're like different than ours because you just get this big piece of metal and they just shave it off. And oh, that's kind of cool. And there's, 
in the other word in the other games of it's back to just regular guns which i think i kind of prefer that combat maybe because i don't know it's more uh familiar without every other game having like an ammo system yeah but I, i'm good with both i really like the combat in all three games i would say it's actually probably good they keep like switching like around how the combat works to keep each game like individual like its own identity yeah it keeps it fresh uh, fresh yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say uh mass effect 3 combat kind of reminds me of gears of war i see what you mean also it does have in my opinion the best leveling system because I think it's the only game where if you level up a skill enough, you then get to choose what upgrade the skill gets. Like, you can have it be where it hits more enemies or it does more damage. Or, say, if you upgrade a skill where you deploy a turret, you can have it either shock three enemies and stun them or fire rockets, which is it, pretty cool. It adds more variety. And Mass Effect is a game they kind of expect you to play through multiple times. And you might want to play through it multiple times to get, like, you know, different endings, different outcomes to pick different classes, and then when you pick the same class, you could just uh, pick a different upgrade and see how that works. Yeah. Yeah, also, the combat is also the easiest in, like, the third game, to me at least. Yeah, I they try to make it more mainstream in a lot of ways. Some ways aren't good, but the combat, I was, I was fine with making it that way. It's, I guess it's something more familiar for people who aren't really used to RPGs, but they want to try a shooter. They're competing with I guess, at the time, Call of Duty, Halo, Battlefield, stuff like that. I do also like in the third game, they kind of did a system where you can have as many weapons as you want, or you can have no weapon, even no weapons if you want, rely on your powers. And the actually, the reason why it might be better to have no weapons or only one, because then you get uh, less cooldown on your abilities, which I thought was really cool. I did really like that first game. I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I found combat to be a bit hard for my first playthrough. I mean, of Mass Effect Three, I found uh, after not really uh, watching the weight of like my inventory, I found combat to be a little harder. But after my second playthrough, I just had like one or two weapons, and it was a breeze. I played on the same difficulty. I played on normal difficulty uh, for my two playthroughs, and the second one was so easy because I was able to just spam out like my powers. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. In my playthrough, I play as an engineer, and I exclusively use an SMG, and I just kept spawning turrets like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> I kept setting everyone on fire. It was so much fun. Uh, the powers are a lot of fun. Um, So, uh, the squad mates, probably in Mass Effect, are one of probably my favorite part of it. Yeah, I feel like some of the, your squad mates are some of my memorable party members from just about any RPG. Yeah, like in Mass Effect 1, there's... Liara, Rex, Ashley, Caden, and Tally. And I, I I really enjoyed them all. I felt Caden was probably my least favorite of the five. Uh, Rex was really interesting. Garrus was cool. Tally was okay in Mass Effect 1. She really improved later on in games. Liara was okay. Ashley, a lot of people don't like her. I really liked her. I, I felt uh they were the more... Like, uh, Garrus, Rex, and Ashley were more two-dimensional, I felt, and the others were a little on the one-dimensional side. Yeah, I, f- I kind of like Ashley, too. I know a lot of people don't like her, because she is kind of racist towards aliens, but her backstory kind of explains it. I'm not going to say what, so if you want to play it, but you should play it. 
and that's everyone in the Mass Effect universe. That's the whole story of Mass Effect is everyone, they're not trusting of each other. They don't like each other. They don't like the other races. They have grudges with the other races. Uh, also, yeah, Caden, he kind of reminds me as a boring version of Karth Onassi from the Knights of the Republic. Yes, yeah, it's the of... same actor. That's all I could think of when I heard his voice yeah. was Karth. I mean, also, oh, I feel like Mass Effect 1, they didn't really bring out much as they could from party members they did from the other games. Like, they don't yeah. have as much neat dialogue they don't have much conversations if you talk to them on your ship and i will say that rex is probably my favorite party member he is a lot of fun definitely in mass effect one uh he has motive backstory and he's really cool the krogans are really cool in general they're these really giant like almost monster aliens would you say they kind of look like frogs almost how their mouths are they do now that you mention it yeah they do yeah and, and their arms and legs kind of look like even the name Krogan sounds like croak. You know, I bet they did base them off of frogs. I don't have any information like that on me, but that they definitely look and sound a lot like frogs now that Josh is bringing that up. Yeah, and they're basically a warrior race. Like, I always love those type of characters. Yeah, them and the... Uh, I like their rivalry with all the other races. They had the... The Krogan basically waged a war first to save the galaxy from Arachna, which are, like, evil bugs. They're sentient evil bugs, which I think is pretty cool. Like, they actually have, like, thought and emotions kind of like a person. Yeah. And and then they become too powerful. The other races become scared of them, so then they release something called the Genophage onto their species, which uh, hinders their ability to have children, like, a lot. And now they have a grudge against just about every other species... And it's you see it unfold in like the games. Yeah, through all three games, and it's like really cool. And the Turians, uh, they're more tech. I uh, well, Turian. The only Turian you ever get is uh, Garrus, who's one of the best squad mates in the series. Uh, another one of everyone's favorite. Like he's such like a bro character. He's such like a friend to Shepard. Yeah, yeah, and, it's pretty cool. Like to see him. And with the game you could do this with a few characters you can kind of turn them more towards paragon or renegade uh with garris with his uh uh mass effect one has two sort of i want to say loyalty missions uh mass effect two has official loyalty missions but mass effect one they don't really call them loyalty missions one for rex and one for garris rex you find his family armor with garris uh there was a mad like doctor who like got away and you have to help him find him and when you, and when you help Garrus, you can co- kind of convince him to either, you know, like, hey, uh, revenge, you know, isn't good. You gotta watch out for people, or the other thing, renegade's gotta be, oh yeah, do whatever it takes to get the job done. I like Garrus because basically when he joins you, because because basically you're something called a Spectre, which is a special uh, unit working directly for the government who can you who has the, and you have the authority to do whatever you think is right. Which is probably how they explain why you can make like certain renegade choices without like getting in trouble. Right. And that's why Garrus joins you, because he's a por- part of a police force, and police, they have a lot of rules and regulations. He doesn't like it, so he decides to join you and think it can be more help with you. And it's fun to help him grow, to help him find out, like, like either like go down path where it's like, yeah, do whatever you think is right, don't think of anyone else, just do and get the job done, or to have him be like, hey, you need to actually watch out for civilians and stuff. And it's just really cool seeing that. Yeah. Uh, you could also make 
uh, Caden really renegade. In Mass Effect 1, the most renegade character is Rex, followed by Ashley. And then I think it goes Garrus, Tally, and then either Caden or Liara. But Caden and Liara are your two most Paragon squad mates. But if you pick a female Shepard, you can romance him and convince him that all the other alien species are, like, bad or something. Like, you make him, like, a space racist, basically. Yeah. And then at the... uh. Towards the end of the game, if you have him and Rex, basically when you when you're uh, Mass Effect One, when you're faced with a Paragon or Renegade decision, your most Renegade character would uh, kind of uh, try to convince you to do the Renegade decision, and the most Paragon uh, squad mate would convince you to pick the Paragon option. So if you do that, normally Caden the end, towards the end of the game would obviously have you do Paragon, but then even if you have Rex in your party, he will pick the renegade option and that's kind of funny because he's so paragon but like after you do it you just move him so close to renegade wow now i also want to talk a bit about mass effect 2 with some of the party members like one called morvin he's probably one of my also another one of my favorites yeah. and his dialogue is probably my or has my favorite dialogue in the whole series definitely uh i like his yeah i really like how he talks like how he talks really fast he'll take a deep breath and then just, like, give out a statement. Now, he's a Solarian, which they're interesting. Their lifespan, they only live to around 40. Like, they go through all the stages of puberty and, like, old age, but they do it, like, twice the speed as humans do. They're also, design is very traditional alien. They're not green, but they're orange, and the way their face is shaped and eyes, it's like how normally aliens are portrayed in media. Right. And they're... Oh, uh, more... Yeah. Uh, Oh, no, go I was ahead. just going to say with Morbin, he actually worked on Genophage, and his uh, character arc plays very heavily into the storyline of Genophage. And he and you can actually get him to like regret doing the Genophage, which is pretty cool. Yeah, is um I like how you like meet everyone in like Mass Effect 2. In Mass Effect 1, it was a little like, "Hey, guess what? Uh I'm looking for Saren." The other person's like, "Oh, I'm looking for Saren too." "Oh, cool. Let's uh, team up." In Mass Effect 2, again, since you're working for Cerberus, they already have people handpicked for you, and then you go on and recruit them. You kind of have to do a mission, convince them. It's not just like, you know, hey, we got similar interests. It's like, hey, I'm recruiting. It's like, well, I got this to do here first. Uh, you got to help me here do this. Also, you do get to uh, get view more into the uh, lifestyle of the Koreans, like their government, and like you actually board a ship. I'm not going to say too much about that mission, but I'm going to say it's really interesting learning about it. Yes, the Corians and the Geth. Basically, the Corians were the ones who originally built the Geth. And then the Geth and Corians were at war, and the Geth drove the Corians off their planet. So now they only live in ships, uh, traveling around. And it got to the point that their immune system, because of it, their immune systems are so bad, they have to wear environmental suits like 24-7. Right. Like, the lore is really good in this game. Also, the final party member you get in Mass Effect 2 is very surprising. It's very awesome i'm not going to tell you anything about them because that's something you want to find out like completely blind is it's a lot of the decisions they made with mass effect 2 really bumped up the series as a whole um the everything from like the corian and geth conflict the the krogan the genophage just it's really fun uh and cerberus I like what they did with Cerberus and Mass Effect 2 and giving you sort of the working for this 
who I've called sort of the renegade organization, which would be Cerberus, which you're kind of allowed more to do what you want. Uh, in Mass Effect 1, while you worked with the Paragon, unfortunately with Mass Effect 3, they didn't continue that. Of They kind of just made Cerberus the bad guys, I guess, because you need it like... They need another like group of people for you to fight, and I guess they just chose Cerberus. I'll save Mass Effect 3. I didn't like how big of a part Cerberus played as being the bad guys. Yeah. It almost felt like you fought them more than the actual bad guys. It did. It, it didn't... Uh, what I would have preferred, I think, is the Alliance sort of was the Paragon allies, and Cerberus would have been the Renegade allies. And throughout like the story, I would have preferred if it was... Like, oh, if you want to do more Renegade stuff, kind of lean more towards Cerberus. Maybe they'll be the ones trying to be like, hey, do this instead. And then if you want to play more Paragon, you would kind of side more with the Alliance. Yeah, I didn't like how they kind of... It almost felt like they didn't want you fighting the main bad guy too much. For certain reasons, you probably understand if you play through even just the end of the first game. But the Elusive Man is probably one of the best characters in the series. Yeah. Um... Like in Mass Effect 2, every scene with him, the music, uh, where his <clears throat> the background is base of operations whenever it shows him, it's every like him manipulating, kind of manipulating you. Like you never really know if you could trust him throughout the the whole story because right. again, he's the head of Cerberus. So in the Mass Effect one, yeah, Cerberus, they were the bad guys. So now you're like, oh, now I gotta work with them. I don't have much of a choice. Interesting, they tell you part of the reasons why they're bad guys in Mass Effect 1 is that the Lucif man, the leader of Cerberus, he lets he basically divides his organization up to cells, where the cell, the leader of the cells decides what they do. Like, he'll give a mission, like, say, like, oh, study the, this uh, species of alien. Then it's like, okay, the cell can, leader can decide how they do that. They could kidnap civilians. They could uh, just study them from far. They could do whatever they think is right. Yeah. But, yeah, well, I guess that explains also Mass Effect 2, why you can make, like, renegade decisions, and it's like, oh, like, the elusive man basically tells you, do whatever it takes, the crew's expendable. But in Mass Effect 3, it just feels weird for him to just be complete evil, like... It almost feels like he went insane between 2 and 3, like, with what he does in 3 sometimes. Yeah, Millie in Mass Effect 2, he was saying stuff like, oh, I didn't know these people were doing this, and I wouldn't approve of it. Now, you don't know if he's lying or not, but... It just feels so different in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. I would prefer if you had small skirmishes with Cerberus while what you were saying earlier, him being like a Rengate ally. And you could even have even less skirmishes or none if you keep choose complete Renegade. That would have been cool. Yeah, w yeah, that would have been really good. The DLC... Well, I guess I would like to... Let's move on to the DLC of Mass Effect. Okay. Uh, in Mass Effect 1, there was Fall Down... What was it Fall Down the Sky? What was it called? Something like that? Uh, something like that. There was also another like DLC, but that didn't come with the Legendary Edition. What was that one called? It's like I don't remember. Something Station. That one, I'll talk about that one real quick. Um, Basically, yes, like Josh said earlier, you're a Spectre, and that DLC, it unlocked a training area for Spectres. Now, that kind of doesn't make much sense because they ch choose Spectres based on if they're able to do it they kind of don't train up people to be specters i guess if it's someone wants to keep their skills honed or whatever but also the station was led by a human and in mass effect one humans were relatively new to like the galaxy 
in terms of like space exploration in the council itself and you play a shepherd who's the first human specter so that does seem really weird why is there a human running the specter facility yeah and it's sort of like just fighting waves of enemies that's what it is Interesting enough, Mass Effect 3, they had DLC where they kind of brought it back. They made it made more sense where it was a public expedition sort of uh, simulation where anybody with the right equipment could go in and like do a gladiator style battle with hologram enemies for like a score and people can watch it. It was like done a lot better. It certainly was. And I guess so now the fall down the sky DLC mission that one was a lot of fun. Was that the very first introduction of Batarians? I think so. Yeah. It was really cool. Oh, and the Batarians they hate humans, and they're kind of like uh, most of the, them act because because of that they act like terrorists towards like human civilizations. They're basically an alien race of bad guys. Like everything you hear about them is oh they like to do slavery and uh, attack people. <laughs> and I think we were like exploring like plants in their space or something, so they had like grudge against us. Yeah, and the whole thing is that there's this, like, uh, station on, like, an asteroid that the story either begins, like, uh, the planet below lost contact with them and you're helping out, or they notice it, the asteroid's, like, going towards the planet. And when you go there, you find out that Batarians have taken it over and are trying to crash the meteor into the planet. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. You get a cool moral choice, like, at the end, and the fights are really good. Yeah, it has an interesting story, and it does kind of show up again like a lot of other things in Mass Effect. There's a reference to it later on. Yeah. Also, speaking of like missions with cool consequences, the very last mission in Mass Effect 2 is probably the best in all Mass Effect. It is. It's so fun. Basically, in Mass Effect 2, it's not really a spoiler because they tell you this in the beginning. Basically, they want you to attack the collector base, which is the only way to get there is through a certain Mass Effect relay that sends you there just sends you straight there but no ship has ever seen to come back from it besides the collectors so it's a suicide mission and they're very open about it and the whole thing is you get the whole game is you gathering your squad mates and preparing them to go through this mission also even if you're fully prepared for a mission if you make the wrong choice during the last mission some of your party members can still die is it is is i think that kind of makes it my favorite the consequences are like very just very obvious well not really obvious but they're yeah i guess obvious yeah it's it's not really like oh this cutscene plays said this one it's yeah. no this person appears in third game or they don't yeah it's it's really interesting to me and mass effect 2 has the most squad mates i don't know why they went with so little in mass effect 3 they only had like they went back to like how mass effect 1 was but anyway um yeah mass effect 2 of doing like the loyalty missions because a lot a big thing of making sure they're alive is making sure you, your squad mates are loyal so they don't have anything else on their mind so completing them is a lot of fun finding out their backstories their motivations just it's yeah they do return like they don't really return mo most of the, your squad members are new in the second game i think there's only like two yeah they only return two um the other three make appearances in the game. Yeah. And I guess going back to the DLC, uh, Liara, you can find who is the, uh, your Asari squad in Mass Effect 1, appears again in Mass Effect 2, and she has her whole DLC for it called Lair of the Shadow Broker. 
That one's a lot of fun. That one's really good. I like that one. And the Shadow Broker, he's basically, uh, he's hid himself in the galaxy and he has information on everything. And he's a, he's a like morally bad character. But because he, his information is so good, some people still side with him. Yeah, he, he basically uh, deals in information. He knows all these things, but nobody knows who he is. Funny enough, in the first game, when I first played it, back when we borrowed it from Zack, uh, you can talk to a an information broker, Mass Effect 1, and I, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or not, but I thought they were saying that that guy right there was the Shadow Broker. So it was kind of funny seeing later on, oh, wait a minute, he's not the Shadow Broker, that's just some other guy. Funny enough, there is a uh, side mission where once you complete it, you can either give the mission to give the information you got from it to the Alliance or to the Shadow Broker, but that's never brought up again. I wish it was. Yeah. Wasn't there like some other stuff that like they kind of make it seem like it's gonna be a big deal, but they never? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Tally in Mass Effect One. Uh, once you get something in a side mission, she asks you for it to complete her pilgrimage, which Corians. When they get to like a certain age, they go out to the, I guess, rest of the world and have a pilgrimage. Well, rest of the galaxy. Yeah. Which uh, basically is bring back something useful for the fleet. Yeah. And she thought whatever you found was useful. And you can either give it to her or you could keep it for yourself. Keep it for yourself. She gets mad at you and is like, well, I'll help you complete this mission, but I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And after this mission is over, I'm done. But in Mass Effect 2, you not only see her again, but she joins your crew. <laughs> Even I if you don't give her that thing. I think the only difference is you can ask her. If you do give her any information, you can ask her, hey, was that information useful? And if you don't give it to her, I don't think you can even talk about it. Not yeah, you can't. I didn't in my Renegade playthrough. I didn't give it to her, but it didn't affect anything, which eh, I kind of don't like. That felt like a little like a little important, you know? Yeah. I also feel like in Mass Effect 3, there's a lot of your choices you make that feel like they don't have as much impact in that game as they should have. Yeah. Like, basically, Mass Effect 3 is sort of, at what you've been preparing for for the past two games, it's now happening. Um, it's I don't know. Should we mention it? Is that big of a? Uh, you I I think they know what you mean when preparing for. Yeah, basically in Mass Effect One, you learn about these things called Reapers. They were thought to be just a story, like not real. Like they're machines that wiped out the the Protheans, which was the alien species that was the dominant species in the galaxy before, like a long time ago. Like thousands of years. Yeah, like before. thousands of years before the dominant species that you see in this game are. Um, and the Reapers, yeah, they wipe them out, and you hear, oh, they're coming back to do the same to you guys and to the humans and to the rest of the galaxy. Right. So in Mass Effect 3, the Reapers are here, right. and you have to fight them off. And the honestly, yeah, there's a few things. I feel like they kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. Um, The big decision in Mass Effect 2 didn't really have much of any impact at all in yeah. mass effect 3 you can't recruit any of your uh squad mates from two that premiered in two no that's right the only squad returning that's right the only returning squad mates were the ones that first showed up in one and then after that it's all new squad mates you yeah. don't get many squad mates in mass effect 3 let's see um yeah i think there's like five right i think five yeah, yeah. so um, what were you saying yeah i was just gonna say um Mass Effect 3, it does do a lot of things wrong. Like, there are some uh, decisions you made in, like, other past games that don't really do that much, but there are some that are done really well. Yeah. I really liked uh, the conclusion of the whole Genophage and uh, the Krogans and yes. the 
Geth and Quarian conflict. Those are done really, really well. And uh, what's uh, Conard or whatever his name was? He, Conrad Werner, yes. He's kind of like a comedic character who he idolizes you and come and he help, tries to help you in all three games, but he always messes up. And depending on your choices, uh, can actually have big impact on him in three. Yes, in the first game, he's just an excited fan, asks for your autograph, and every so often you'll see him and he'll try talking to you. And then he says, oh yeah, you should make me the second human specter. And he's just like, what? So you can either use a, a renegade or paragon option to like get him to like go home. Uh, if you use the paragon one, you're kind of just like, eh, you know, I need you here at home. Not everyone can be out there. Uh, I need to know that you keep uh, everyone safe, like, you know, at the at their home planets and stuff. And he's like, yeah, okay. If you pick the renegade option, you point a gun at him. You're like, see, this is how it feels. This is how uh, I get gunpoint at me every day. Can you take this? And then he like runs away crying. Funny enough, there's a glitch that they never fix for the legendary edition. In Mass Effect 2, he always reacts as if he did the renegade option. The reason for that is the game, what it does is sort of like uh, checks marks a list on what decisions you made. But what it does is it puts check marks sort of on both the Paragon and Renegade option, so it just defaults to the Renegade option. Oh, I was wondering why he told me that in my playthrough. Yeah, they never fixed it because in Mass Effect 3 he apologizes for doing that. But the funny thing is, he says, I'm sorry I said you point a gun with a gun at me when you never did, but he says that whether or not you picked the Renegade option in Mass Effect 1. So they fixed it, but they kind of didn't. Kind of, yeah, but... I guess because of that dialogue, they just can't go back and like with the and like let you do the Paragon options. I watched a clip of it on YouTube with mods; you can get it, but it's it's not that much difference. Just sort of the beginning dialogue when you first meet in Mass Effect Two. But yeah. Also, there's one thing I did forget to talk about when I was saying the misstructure with Mass Effect One being open world. I don't like how linear Mass Effect Two is. Like, I'm not saying it should be open world like One. It's fine being more linear. It yeah. just feels very super linear. Door always locks behind you when you enter a room. Like, oh, yeah. For no reason. Uh, th there's no map. It's just an arrow pointing directly where to go, which is fine so you don't get lost, but it feels very, like, video gamey. I know. Like, I know. Even what when, you mean. like, the mission ends, it shows mission complete on it. A very obvious video game, like, picture. Just. Mass Effect 2 is my favorite because of story and really the characters. But yeah, they. After Mass Effect 1, they really cut down on exploration. I think a little too much. Hopefully in uh, Mass Effect, the new one they make, uh, they uh, kind of bring back the exploration, but not as tedious. Yeah. And... and but, yeah? Oh, what were you going to say? No, go ahead. Oh, I really hope they put the best from all three games in the next one. That would be interesting. Mass Effect 3 was a had good send-off moments, especially, I guess... We mentioned DLC, but we we can't like mention DLC without mentioning the Citadel DLC. Right, which is some of the best DLC out of any game. It brings back all your uh, surviving squad mates. <laughs> By the way, that's not a spoiler. You can get any squad mate killed, and you, you basically you have a party. <laughs> but first, there's like missions and stuff. But it's not really the mission. The missions are fun. Like the story is kind of fun, but it's really the fact that you're it's sort of getting the gang back together kind of feeling. And, they so, and their dialogue really, like, emulates that. Like, it's more comedic. It's more, like, uh, casual. They they really just sound like old friends, like, getting together. It's, like, the character, the characters, like, their dialogue is all unique. It's all a lot of fun. 
it even brings back characters that like haven't been in your squad since Mass Effect One, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, even uh, Mass Effect Three, they they gave more characterization to some of your non squad mate uh, shipmates. Yeah, that sense. that's one thing I really like about Mass Effect Three. Uh, they kind of did it in Mass Effect Two with like Kelly and Joker, and they kind of did it with Joker in Mass Effect One, but in Mass Effect Three, the squad mates that don't go with you on missions to just stay on the ship. Man, that was, that that's like those characters a lot. Like, uh, what are their names? The two guy, the two, the guy and the girl in engineering. I don't remember their names. I don't. Yeah, but One they're of them Scottish. They're they're both Scottish, oh. aren't they? They both sound Scottish. I think so something. But they're so funny. Just them yeah. interacting with each other. I I really like that. They're some of my favorite characters. But you never bring them on missions. And I don't think you ever see them outside of engineering. No, you don't. It's so funny and so cool. Yeah, in the first game. They all had, like, two or three lines of dialogue. You can only ask them, like, three questions. Yeah, like, what did you think of the mission? Stuff like that. What'd you... And sometimes you can only ask them the same question throughout, like, the whole game. Yeah. Then in Mass Effect 2, it's like, oh, hey, here's the chef. Oh, hey, I need you to pick up some food from this planet. Okay. Oh. Uh, Medic Chakwas is back. Hey, I need you. I would like some uh, something to drink from this uh, planet. Just saying Chakwas? Or I've ever say your name. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Yes, Chalk was. Yeah, in the first game, she was completely forgettable. But in two or three, she was actually like a lot of fun to have on the ship. She was. She's a really fun squad mate. Funny enough, in Mass Effect Three, um, you could instead have her make her a war asset, and which the whole thing in Mass Effect Three is you preparing to fight the Reapers, so they have this war asset system. Instead, you can get the medic from Mass Effect One to be on your ship. Yeah, I prefer to have her on my ship. The extra dialogue is better than the few measly points for the war assets. I do too. She feels like a part of the crew, you know. It feels weird without her. Yeah. And yeah. Uh I feel like I don't know, it's just I really wish you had party members from 2 like they basically just show up in cutscenes kind of. I I did not like that. Uh if you're not I feel like if uh you're not a squad mate in Mass Effect 3, you don't like that character does not get much of anything. Most of them at least don't get much of like anything decent throughout Mass Effect 3? Like, if you can romance almost any squad mate, but it's really not smart to romance someone who was introduced in 2 because they're not really going to do much with you in the third game. Yeah, since they're not in your squad, you can't really take them out on missions and you don't see them much. So it, I think it would, I haven't romanced anyone that wasn't a squad mate in Mass Effect 3 yet, but it, it, I don't see it as it feeling as, like, it, it, it feels kind of bad because it'd be like, Especially compared to like someone like Liara, who's with you for so long in Mass Effect Three, and there's so many like cutscenes that have like alternate dialogue and like a love interests. Yeah. I will say for every party member, they all feel like they have growth. They do. Like Liara, like uh, not Liara, Ta- Tally. In the first game, she was very mature, very childlike. She yeah. become more mature, more responsible by the third game. It's really cool to see. Garrus, there... he feels like more like an experienced soldier rather than like a grunt in the first game. He is one of the coolest characters. And one thing I'll say about uh, Tally and uh, Garrus, there's a, an interaction. If you walk with them in the Citadel, uh, Garrus will say something, Hey, this reminds me of the old days. And then he goes to Tally and says, Want to talk about your immune system? And then she goes, I have a shotgun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is pretty cool. Well, I think in a lot in all three games, there are some parts of the environment where if you bring your squad mates, they'll have something to say or do. Especially in the second game, you can click actually like click on parts of the environment, and some, your squad mates will actually have commentary for it. 
yeah, it's worth it just to bring a few different squad mates just to look around. They'll have something interesting to say. Oh, and one thing about the Citadel DLC. Yeah. In the simulation fight I was telling you about, you can actually pick squad mates from two to be in your squad to help you with that. You could. You, it, it's really fun. Uh, there's a, even a Jack will send you a message to meet her there, and then you you two will uh, like will go in and like play through the thing, and it's pretty cool. Oh, in terms of growth, I think Jack has the best growth. She does. I really like how in the second she's like unstable, angry, and then in the third she comes back and oh she's teaching other people biotics because she's herself is a really powerful biotic. I really like her loyalty mission. Bring her through like her old school that she lived oh, in. And pro tip for a loyalty mission: bring Miranda with you. <laughs> bring and bring Jack during a Miranda's loyalty mission. They don't like each other, so it's funny they both have like kind of dialogue, like sort of like snapping yeah. back at each other, you know? Yeah. And in the third game, when she's more lighthearted and open, she still has the same personality, so it still feels in character. It doesn't feel like they like, well, she's supposed to be better now, so let's write her this way instead. No, it feels natural. Yeah, seeing her, just seeing her as like a teacher, like caring for her students is, is really something. She had some great character growth. I I don't hate what they did with Miranda. Speaking of her, I didn't, I, I like having her doing her own thing. But I kind of wish she joined up with you at some point. It just feels weird. She was she felt so important in Mass Effect two, and then in Mass Effect three, she's just oh by the way I'm on a mission looking for my sister. My father got her or something. Okay, bye. Yeah, she should have helped you. I don't know why she they couldn't say hey if I helped you with your war, can you help me find my sister? And then Shepard's like okay, and then she joins the crew. Why couldn't they do that? Yeah, and uh, a funny thing is if you romance her in two. And then if you meet up with her in three and then make break up with her, she automatically dies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, just like Padme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she lost the will to live. Yeah. And so we in the Mass Effect 3 ending, compared especially compared to the last two, it's something else. Like the Citadel DLC is a good ending, the whole theme of the game and with your whole squad mates. It's, yeah. Like, them all throwing a party together and interacting with each other, it's a lot of fun. But then uh, the the original ending for Mass Effect 3, or I guess the ending, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Yeah. Mass Effect 1 and 2 each had boss fights. In Mass Effect 1 and 2, they kind of kept their choices separate from the ending. Like, Mass Effect 1 was stop Saren and the Geth. And so you stop Saren and the Geth, but you also have to make a choice about something else. The collectors stop the collectors, but you still have to make a choice about something else. Mass Effect 3, the choice is based on beating the Reapers, but it's really weird. And the choices aren't super different in certain ways? No, they're not. They, It's basically what you hear is a red ending, a blue ending, and a green ending. A lot of the, end, the different endings that play, a lot of the differences are just a red filter, a blue filter, or a green filter, depending upon what you pick. And it doesn't really feel good. Yeah. Also, apparently, the third game was rushed, I heard. I think they really wanted to get out for the popularity. There might have been other factors. I don't know. I didn't really hear too much about it. What I heard, it was rushed. And a lot of the writing team, like, moved on or was let go. I forget exactly what happened. Yeah. Like, one of, like, Ashley really suffered... Yeah, the writers for Ashley did not return for Mass Effect 3, so she she doesn't really do much. Yeah. And uh, I feel like like you I remember you told me earlier that the 
main, new main writer was biased towards Liara, right? <laughs> His favorite character is Liara, so she gets so much screen time in Mass Effect 3. Uh, he was also there when they wrote the Shadowbroker DLC, which is why she has her own DLC in Mass Effect 2. And he posted on Twitter uh, saying, oh, they didn't let me pick this for the a cover of the Legendary Edition, and all the characters' faces are replaced with Liara. It's fine for the, for the writer to have a favorite character. It's just they have to be mindful for a game like Mass Effect where uh, you choose who to be with, like other people have favorite characters, and just feel sometimes her dialogue seem like the romance dialogue, even when you haven't romanced her. Yeah, but speaking of the dialogue, I want to mention, you know how Shepard will always say, like, I have to go after he's done talking or something yeah. like that, or I should go? Yeah. Uh, apparently... Uh, I saw like an interview and they were saying, oh, you think they chose that because, oh, we just got recorded once and that's it. And they said, no, every time Shepard says I should go to like in like a different conversation, that's a different recording. Really? Yeah. So they recorded like him saying or both of them saying I should go like so many times. That's so funny because normally that's like a stereotypical video game dialogue. Yeah, we need something to let the player know the conversations in. So just record this yeah. and then they'll know. And it, it kind of becomes like, you know, like a running gag almost, yeah. like they make a joke about it. Um, you didn't play Renegade, so you didn't hear a uh, male shepherd say, uh, use the term big stupid jellyfish, have oh. you? No, I haven't. That's a meme too. In Mass Effect 1, you know the the uh, Hanhar, which is like yes. a jellyfish alien arguing with the officer in the beginning? Yes. If you pick like a Renegade option when talking to the cop, he says, what's the big deal? He's just a big stupid jellyfish. <laughs> and just the delivery of how he says it. Yeah. They even like, have him say it like multiple times throughout like the series because of it. I was also saying in the first game, uh, Shepard's voice acting wasn't the best. Yeah, it felt a little stiff. Yeah, it feels like they didn't really give him much context. Like they knew they had like a bunch of different dialogues, so they probably just sped through it. Funny thing is, Mark Mir, the actor for him, voices so many other characters in the series. He does all the Hanhar. He does a ton of Volus dialogue, I think. Wait, he does all the Hanar? So he calls himself a big stupid yes. jellyfish. He does a lot of alien species dialogue. Wow. Yeah, he, he's obviously a talented voice actor, which is why I'm really thinking mm. it was just he didn't have much context. There had to have been something. I heard someplace he was originally going to be uh, someone else, but then they just kept with him. So maybe right. that's why. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I haven't done a Femme Shepherd playthrough. But a lot of people swear by female Shepard. Her, I heard her renegade dialogues really well. I actually, my second playthrough, if I ever do it, I really want to do a renegade version of with Fenship. I think what they call her. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think I guess she can romance Garrus, which I guess would probably be the best choice. I really like Garrus' personality. Yeah, and with the Citadel DLC, I have to, not the mission is really good. Uh. You also get, like, a cool silence pistol. That's the most That's, powerful pistol in the game. It does. It's my favorite weapon. I really like using it. It's, It has a really fast firing rate and does the most damage. And even if it has a silencer equipped, you can still equip a barrel attachment. Yeah. Oh, which, by the way, was new to Mass Effect 3 Combat. You can put attachments on your gun, yeah. which is pretty cool. And, okay. Well, a little bit. I just want to mention real quick. Uh, I really like the Blasto advertisements for the movie with the Hanhar uh, Spectre. And they make so many jokes about it. And you can hear, like, lines from the movie. It's a lot of fun. Just so you know, the Hanar, they have, like, no physical strength. They're jellyfish, so they can't really fight. Yeah, so seeing them as, like, a specter who's, like, doing all this, like, James Bond stuff, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, in the second game, there's actually a poster advertisement where you can No, hear... third game. Oh, third game. Oh, yeah. yeah, third game, where you can hear some dialogue from the movie. 
Yeah. It's really funny. I like how the game at times is super serious, has a really great story, and other times it's just these comedic moments, just having this funny stuff. This week was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to 4Fanboys. I'm Josh. I'm Kyle. And see you next week.